1: Hello there, this is Russ Williams. Alongside me is Spencer Oliver. Welcome to another edition of Fight of My Life, when a top boxer joins us on the show to talk about the seminal fight in their career. The build-up, the fight itself, and the aftermath. And on this edition, what a legend we've got lined up for you. We're going to be talking to this man. The winds look better. The crowds got
2: bigger too. Manchester had a new hero. He thrilled them and they loved him because he stayed close to home. But the big names brought out the best in him and now he gets
3: what, what he's, he's always lived Only you can lose this fight if you don't have the courage to jump on him. Now he
2: starts to lift it again. Look at him,
3: I want him going back to that corner with no breath.
0: Almost all
3: of my colleagues give Ricky Hatton no chance.
2: A lot of people, especially in America, didn't think Hatton would get this far.
4: I'm going to be so focused that uh, nothing's going to bother me.
2: was just beginning, you feel, to be a little bit sickened by all of this. He's running into a hurricane called Hatton.
3: Could you revolt it down any better? I don't think you could.
1: Well, Spence, before we hear from the Hitman himself, what fight are we going to be talking about with Ricky Hatton today? And how do you sum Hatton up as a fighter?
5: Well, Russ, I think there's only one fight we can talk about with Ricky Hatton, and that's when he won the IBF title in 2005 at the Manchester Arena against a formidable champion, Kostya Zou. Ricky Hatton started the fight as a massive underdog. He was 4-1 to one underdog with the American bookies. Kostya Zou was a big favoured fancy to win this contest, and Ricky, against all the odds, went and defeated a champion who was making his 20th defence of a title and was considered, pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the world.
1: Yeah, he's an amazing fighter, Costa Zoo, and Ricky knew what he was up against. He grew up in the industrial wasteland where they make tracks for the Trans-Siberian Railway. And you know what, Spence, to harden him up, he used to run barefoot in the snow and did push-ups on crushed glass. I bet you never did that. (laughs) <laughs> I certainly never done
5: that, Russ, but you know what he needed to he needed that mental strength in the, in the MEN arena at two AM in the morning, twenty-two thousand screaming Manx. You know, that was a difficult ask for, for Costas U to go into that environment against Ricky Hatton.
1: Yeah, the man who he was up against that night are very um Ricky the Hitman Hatton on Fighting My Life. Ricky, it's great to have you with us.
3: Yeah, good to speak to you, Russ. Good to speak to you, Spence.
1: Yeah, good speaking to you, mate. How did this fight come about Ricky because Costa Zoo obviously um, a legendary fighter a a world champion tell us how it came about and do you remember where you were when you found out that the fight was actually going to happen
3: it was a fight that he was he was champion when I was I'd just become the WBU champion which was like a, a real minor version of a world title and to be honest it took a little bit of slating in certain quarters that it was a it was a bit of a naff belt, as they as they say, but ultimately it ended up leading to me getting me uh, me shot at Costasou because I had the um, 15 defenses of the WBU title. and in that time, I was able to beat people like you know Vince Phillips, Ben Taki, Ray Oliveira, which ultimately got me to the number one position and got me me my fight with Costasou. But uh, I, I'm pretty certain Frank Warren didn't want me to have the fight because. I went to Highbridge uh, to, to watch City versus Arsenal, and Frank was saying to me, Listen, Rick, we can go for Vivian Harris, who's the other champion, and we can go for Shambay Mitchell. You don't have to, to fight this guy. And I said, No, 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 no. He's the best, Frank. You know, that's what I come in the game for. I want to, to fight the best. And anyway, me and Billy, no one thinks I can beat him, but me and Billy think we can. So then the, the fight was, uh, was made. He said, All right, I'll work on it after I beat Mike Stewart. And then they had a fight in between against Ray Oliveira as a let- and it was it worked out as a brilliant warm-up fight because I was I was red hot in that fight and it was just a performance that led me to go in into the cost do fight. But I think it was just basically sat at home, sat at home in the settee, phone went frank, go the the fight's on. And that was that. You know, we dream about being a world champion, but to, to fight the best in the weight division and someone who was pound for pound number one or two, something like that, these fights don't come along too often. And to get it in Manchester, my hometown, was uh, music to my ears when that phone call came.
5: Ricky, Costas U was making his 20th defence of the title. You was 38-0 with 28 KOs and never been underdog going in. The American bookies had you at 4-1 to one underdog. I mean, what was that like for the first time being an underdog?
3: I don't know. You've got to know the person, to be honest with you. And as I was making my defences of the WBU title coming coming through you know you you read the papers and you read the 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 press and you know the 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 writers and saying, yeah he's exciting he sells a few tickets but he gets cut. and yeah he's exciting but his defense is leaky and yeah if you thought someone like kosh he won't go two rounds because of punching power and ricky's leaky defense and uh it used to me off to be honest you know i ended up using it as my my fire you know so when it come under you know four to one five to one or whatever it was at the time as an underdog i i just i just loved it i thought to myself oh you're lot are gonna end up with egg on your face here because i'm gonna beat him and it's, it's dead easy to say this after it but i mean i i did i honestly did believe it and when um you know we thought that you know the, the the style that i had you know where people thought it would work against against me i thought it worked with me you know being on his chest keeping out of the way of that right cross which was bombing everybody out you know so that's why we went for the fight and that's why we were so confident, yeah.
1: Ricky, you mentioned there that, you know, the American critics um, made you a little fed up. They were quite brutal about you. They said that you were overhyped, didn't stand a chance against a boxer who wasn't born. He was quarried. It was that tough.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just the, the Americans. It was the British, to be honest with you. I mean, I um, I mean, in the morning of the fight, I got up and read The, the Mirror, The Star, The Sun, and <laughs> everyone had me getting beaten two rounder thought we. Which I couldn't read, I was reading that many bad reports. But no, I, um, I, 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 I just had massive confidence in, in myself, you know, and it's I, I sort of like people, I always had my critics in the sense that, you know, as much as they, they loved me and they loved the type of guy I was and, you know, down to earth, you know, not very really cocky and, you know, and everything like this, I think they, 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 they loved my enthusiasm, but I just don't think they shared my confidence in that I was going to go in there and, and beat someone like Kostya Zou. I mean, he, he knocked out Shambay Mitchell. I think in three rounds, he knocked out Jab Judd in two rounds. And I know he was a little bit older at at the time and he'd made 20 defences and that. But, you know, he wasn't saying that at the time when they thought I was going to get killed.
1: You had a fairly Spartan 14-week preparation period, training camp, didn't you? A a lot of it spent at the legendary Phoenix gym. Can you tell us about who you were sparring and, and who was actually in your training camp?
3: It was just the usual. There was like Michael Gomez, you know, Anthony Farnell, Matthew Macklin, Paul Smith, Stevie Bell, my brother Matthew, just the usual team. Billy Graham, Kemi Case, Bobby Rimmer. We just put our foot down, got stuck into it like like it was in any other fight. We did a 14 weeks camp. Well I normally used to do twelve weeks, so I thought, you know, we spent, you know, the first obviously in my training camp I used to spend the first few weeks shifting weight. The good thing about going into the camp was this fight, because Koshizu was number one. We talked about this fight for years, not just the minute it was announced, if you get my meaning, guys. Because we talked about it, we wanted to fight him, he was the best. We were talking about our game plan three years earlier, so we, we couldn't have been any better prepared for when we went actually in to the camp. My sparring partners, you know, sometimes, I think Spencer, you'll agree with me, sometimes you get sparring partners in and you get them from your your boxing mates, if you like, you know, people in the game that you know that can advise you the best. And sometimes you get sparring partners and sometimes they come in the crap and sometimes they come in, they're absolutely brilliant. And um, I had three Argentinians, I think they were, and they were absolutely the best sparring partners I had. You know what I mean? They'd come at me, they'd, they'd fly at me right hands galore if they if I they asked him to stay at a distance and box me they did everything to the script what billy asked and what we wanted from them and some days you know i'd absolutely you know i'd, I'd give them an absolute pounding you know and i think to myself they'll be ready for home these three and they come in the next day kid we'll do better today ricky yesterday i was rubbish today i'm gonna <laughs> get you today i, was, I thought whoa <laughs> this will do for me and that's you know um, you know you don't take liberties in sparring as spencer will tell you but it, it's got to be pretty much realistic to the fight and I knew I was going to go through hell there was going to be some really heavy scary moments against costzu and there was times when I hear him we're gonna to have to suck it up you know and when one of the sparring partners felt tired the other one jumped in then when he felt tired the next one would get in and then the ticket turns round after round so I was constantly under pressure because I knew that's how the I did that's how the fight would be
5: it was well documented that that you struggled to make weight over your career, Ricky, or you ballooned up in weight in between fights. How difficult was it to make weight for this contest? And Costasou was the one actually that came over three ounces over. But did you make this weight better for this fight than in any other previous fight?
3: I probably did make the weight better because obviously the minute I got my chance, you know, I mean, it was it was you know. I wanted to get straight back into the gym. You know, normally, you know, it'd be like 12 weeks and i think, oh, can I get another pint in me? But I used to think, no, this is it, you've got it now, Rick. So that's why we did the 14 weeks uh, extra. And um, and Frank Warren knew my, my vulnerabilities. He knew my qualities uh, in the sense that I could sell crowds out for fun. That's why he kept me so busy. <laughs> but the fact that he knew that I used to struggle with weight, I think, oh, so that's why Frank, to his credit kept me busy, sometimes I'd have 3, 4, 12 rounders a year, and he knew he had to do that, you know, to keep, so I wouldn't balloon up so, so bad, you know, and um, and he, as I mentioned earlier, just when we started the interview, I fought a guy called Ray Oliveira, and that was in January, I trained over Christmas, which is obviously brilliant from from a weight perspective, I fought Oliveira in January, I had a few weeks off, and then I went straight into camp for Costa Zoo in, in June, so the preparation for that fight, you know, the how, Frank Warren picked the previous fight and now me and Billy Graham did it and then because this was our dream, this was our chance and I think my preparation for someone whose quality as cost you zero, I think my preparation was better than his because he, he flew mm. over from Australia at the last minute, didn't bother getting acclimatized and I think he thought what everyone thought that he was just going to flatten me because I was I mm. was running at two in the morning guys, you know what I mean you know to four weeks before to, to get acclimatized mm. So fighting at two in the morning. But I don't think Koshizui just flew in about a, a week before and I thought, I, thought, I thought it was a little bit disrespectful to take the <laughs> and how he was preparing. But uh, in the end, uh, what we did, worked well, out all good.
2: All right fans, here we go with our main event of the evening, 12 rounds of boxing for the IBF. Junior Welterweight or Light Welterweight Championship of the World. And now, ladies and gentlemen in attendance and boxing fans joining us around the world, live from Manchester,
1: England. Italy. fight of my life on talk sport russ williams and spencer oliver talking to the great hitman, ricky the hit manhattan about his legendary fight what a night for you ricky against costa Zou. and we are going to get into the fight in just a moment your record going into this fight was uh, was 38 zero wasn't it 28 knockouts you've been there basically 38 times before but surely this fight would have felt a little different would it not
3: Very much so. When the fight was made, it's the fight I always dreamed of and it was always, in Manchester, a big Ricky Hatton occasion, you know, there was always a big crowd and big interest because I I was very exciting to watch and everybody knew I was just on the verge of getting um, that significant world title shot. In Manchester, when the press conference, the first press conference on the Thursday was announced, I mean, normally there'd be like, you know, four to five television cameras there, you know, for... For me, me fights but there was you know and all of a sudden there's like 35 and it's like as soon as you walked into the press conference and the number of press that were there the number of tv cameras that were there the number of, of newspaper cameras that were there you know you just thought to yourself you know this is the next level but uh, as much as it, it made me a little bit nervous and a little bit windy you know what i mean like billy graham said oh went, god billy i said we've reached a big time here and he said Well, you've been talking about getting to this stage all your life so don't let your bottle go now and i said no 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 it's not going now billy trust me i'm loving it but this is where we wanted to be and 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 it it was you know because he was such a such a formidable well-respected champion
5: you wake up on the day of the fight ricky how was you feeling was it the usual fight day feeling or did you feel the nerves starting to get to you a little bit with a fight of this sort of magnitude
3: no i felt i felt i felt just as normal the Morning, when I woke up and opened my eyes, I thought, Yep, yeah, fight day, lovely. Went downstairs, I did the um, the second day check weighing the the um, The border control bot that brought the scales to the house, jumped on, made the weight, and then I did my usual dietary and routine. Um, what I always do I was just in my, uh, my games room at home and I was having a game of dance and a game of pool. Then I'd sit down, watch a bit of TV, just doing as much as I can to take my mind off the fight, you know, for that few hours. And then the, the minute Speaky picked me up in the car to take me to the arena. And as soon as the car pulled up in the car park, then it was right, game game face on now, switch on, this is it. But the minute I got out of the car at the arena, that's when um, it, I felt more nervous than, than at any point ever in me, my boxing career. You know, it's like when you're at home and you're just doing your usual routine and you're miles away. But then once you, you get to the venue and you see the, the crowd walking into the venue and you're going in the changing rooms and you... You see the lads on the undercard walking past you, you know, and reality, it's not like it's in now. He said, well, it's we're, we're here now, aren't we? And it's, you hear, the, as you walk into the change rooms, you can hear the crowd roaring already, you know, and it's only like, you know, 10 o'clock at night, you know, we're not fighting while well, 2 o'clock.
2: For the young man made in Manchester, this is what he has wanted most. For British boxing, what we always want to see, the recognised best in the world coming to appear here. But with all this, Lift Ricky Hatton, or will Kostjeck's yet again prove what has
3: made him special? It was harder than normal, more nerve-wracking than normal,
1: definitely. You've got your thoughts, your hands have been wrapped, your team are there, final words are being said, and then it comes to uh, the real moment of realisation that it's fight on time and everything that's at stake for you, because Blue Moon begins to play, doesn't it? The Manchester crowd erupts, I think it was 2 o'clock in the morning UK time. into the ring towards the ring you looked so so focused can you remember what was going through your head
3: absolutely because as you the previous question when you went you know when you got to the venue you must have felt more nervous than you've ever done because it was such a, a massive fight and occasion i knew that that was always going to that was going to be the case whenever because i always found i don't know what spencer thinks, i always found the worst moment for any fighter is when you're in the changing rooms and the television goes, right, we're ready, come on, and you think, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, it's it's here now. But I was walking to the ring, and I just, like, I'd, I just thinking to myself, listen, Ricky, you've been talking about this, you've been telling everybody that you're going to beat Koshizu you, you know, you're going to be the best fighter in the world, you've been telling me this for years, now's the time to do it. The
2: night of reckoning for Ricky Hampton, after 38 straight victories.
3: the was roaring right behind me, you know what I mean? And, you know, I get in the ring and then Koshazu makes his ring walk. And I'm just thinking to myself, listen, you know, it's dead easy to, you know, when the pressure's on, you've got Showtime TV, you've got Sky TV, you've got 20,000 fans, it's going live in Australia that's the time you know when you've got to be at your strongest i felt and it's thought you know come on rick hold it together hold your game plan together what we spoke about fight one round at a time get off to a good start and i was just going through everything that we've been speaking about you know not just in the the 14-week training camp just keep hold together everything you've been talking about for the last three years since you've been saying you wanted to fight because and it was all about holding it together and i think that's what a good champion can do is like holding it you know when when the pressure is massively on holding it together at them toughest of moments and you know keeping your, your composure certainly against someone with so much more experience than me
5: jimmy lennon jr does the ring announcements the crowd are going absolutely bananas the first bell goes ricky you start fast you start roughing costumes you up was that what you was looking to do was that the game plan
3: yeah, well, he's not, you know, Shambe Mitchell out early. He's not Zab Judder out early, and he has that, you know, pawing left jab done anywhere. You know, like like a lot of Eastern Europeans and or Russian or Ukraine fighters, they tend to, you know, to you know, sound like like a magic wand, one that left hand in front of you and line you up and trying to walk you for the right hand. So as soon as that right hand comes, it was a case of knocking away, moving in on him quick and get on his chest.
2: And I thought looked a bit pensive beforehand. He's fought this fight a thousand times in his head. Can he do it for real? This is the master's degree, of course. Well, he's charging right out. I'd rather had a little look at you. See how the jab was coming, see what was in his mind, but he's going to do things the way he always does them. So this is going to be a war.
3: The ways of, of slowing your opponent down it's not just about the punches you're landing how you slow your opponent down It's the punches that you land that slow your opponent It's the punches that you're making miss that slow your opponent and it's in the clinches of knowing how to lean how to pull how to Push how to grab how to use their body weight where it's not taking anything out of you But it's taking from them and it's very important that you know I got off to a good start because he he was 34 years of age if I Won the first two rounds by a country mile, which I like to think I did. Because who knows? You know what? I've got to raise my game now because this little whippersnapper might start putting rounds in the bank and leaving me for dead. So I started fast, but purposely, so he would have to raise his game. So I thought to me, we were him now. Right? If you win the first two rounds, Billy was saying, I don't care if you lose the next three. Just have him working, the old fart. Just have him working. You know, the, the punching power was horrendous in the first two rounds. When he was hitting me, I, was, I felt like crying. He
2: was trying to get himself out into the centre of the ring now. Excellent first round, probably on what rate and Ricky Harkins' card that he took too many dangerous punches from my liking.
5: You clearly got yourself into phenomenal shape. You you won the first round. The game plan was working. In the second round, you started getting inside, whipping in some uppercuts up close. Costas, you was trying to keep the distance. Was that apparent early on? Did you think that that's his game plan was to keep the distance and try and lead that lead right hand, which you had talked about, was such a devastating
3: shot. Absolutely. And if you rem- if you remember, you know, from about four round onwards, I come right off the stool, and he knew he was going to jump on the- on his chest, so he had. The right hand just nestled waiting for me didn't he, he just start bang right down the pipe the first punch he threw and billy graham would say rick i know we're keen to get on his chest but get me please get out of the way of that first right hand because he's nailing you with the first one every round and thankfully i was able to take it but each round you know when i was in close he was he was hitting me and hurting me up but as the rounds were ticking by in the fight his punching power got a little bit less. In the clinches, you know, when I was leaning and pulling, he felt strong as an ox at first. But as the rounds were going on, you know, rounds five, six, I could feel him punch-wise punch and physical strength-wise just a little bit less each round, each round, a little bit less, a little bit weaker, a little bit weaker. You know what I mean? And then it got to, I think, about round, round nine, when you know, Billy used to say to me at the end of every round, how does his strength feel, Rick? still pretty good how does his pumping power feel ricky still pretty good all right we'll keep leaning on him keep strength keep landing the shots downstairs but then it got He got throughout round nine and he hit him with a body shot and i lent on him and he just he just sank he just sagged massively and i come back to the round at the end of eight and Billy went how's he feeling now i said weak as a kitten billy now i think i've got him now he said well now this is the time you need to jump on his toes i went i'm knackered billy when i don't give two sh- Rick, this is what we work for. Jump on his toes now, and it's all ours. Only you can lose this fight if you don't have the the courage to jump on him. You know, we you know, there's there's three round, there's three or four rounds left, and we're probably about two rounds down. This is your time now. You need to jump on it, and that's that's the way the the fight went. You know, and Billy was um, a wonderful coach, as Spencer will know, but he was he was known very much for his conditioning, which obviously all his fights were conditioning. But if you look at our game plan, how I'm describing it to you here, boys, he was a lot better than a conditioner, wasn't he? Because he, he got the tactics off to a T, perfect.
5: Round three, Kostya Zou starts slipping into a rhythm. He starts throwing those good left hooks and those trademark straight right hands through the middle. Ricky, did you, at this point, recognise that you was in with a great champion?
3: Very much so. I mean, every, um, every shot hurt me. Didn't wobble me, but every shot hurt me. And I think when... When we were in close, he used to like lean back and for these little cuffing they they looked like he was slapping, but believe me he wasn't. You know, they were like little cuffing shots inside. And even his little cuffing shots inside, it was like, you know, it, it landed it wouldn't shake me, but I could feel them going right through my body. And there was a couple of times, you know, where I think it was around, maybe around six or something like that, he nailed me with a right hand right on the bell. And my legs just went. I went really, really stiff and I dropped my hands by my side. And just then the bell went, which I thought I was lucky really. And I went, Is that all you've got? I screamed at him, went, Is that all you've got? And I literally, you know, I looked in his eyes and I literally, he, he looked scared to death because he'd he nailed me with his best.
1: Coming up on Fights of My Life on Talk Sports.
3: I think if I had have knocked him out with a left up to the body, it wouldn't have been as pleasing as having a champion like Koshazu say no more. Can't do anymore, no more. Sports Selector is back Play to win your
2: share of £10,000 or more. Simply select a Premier League team to win each week If they win, you're through If they don't, you're eliminated But here's the twist, you can only select each team once Talk Sports Selector is back Entries cost just £10 Join now at talksport.com selector and stay in it to win it Terms and conditions apply 18plusbegambleaware.org plus. and please gamble responsibly Patton, after this 14-week preparation, he's never been in better shape, found
1: something extra again. Fight of my life on TalkSport. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver talking to Ricky Hatton about the fight of his life. 4th of June 2005, the Manchester Arena. 22,000 screaming Mancunians in there. And Ricky is on the way to winning the IBF Light Welterweight Championship of the World. We've spoken about the early rounds, Ricky. The emotion in, in that arena was something else. And I think a few of your fans were a, a, a little, just a little bit concerned that if you were careless, you could get caught. Round four was close. Round five, you were being caught, weren't you, with a lot of Costa Zou's shots. But round six, you really come out firing. And you put Zoo down only for him to be held up by the ropes. You mentioned already you had a little inkling that things might be starting to go your way. Is this the moment, though, where you think this could be a good night?
3: Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of a lot of mind games in boxing, isn't there? I started off fast, and then you sort of like, as you mentioned, set into like a little bit of a rhythm. Rounds three, four, five, and then rounds in three, four, five, you might have thought, oh, great, I've, I've slowed him down, I've softened him up. But then that little burst of change, of change of speed, you know, to put a few punches together that put him on the ropes, and the ropes just held him up and i think when you do a 12 round fight you know you, you've got to know it's very very really careful of knowing you, you can't put your foot down for three minutes of 12 rounds you've got to know when to put your foot down and when you know when he needs a rest that's when you put your foot down when you need a rest that's when you've got to try and nick a breather here and there and that's what um tactics are sometimes you've got to give a round in order to get two rounds and and that's what being a, a clever 12 round fighter is all about. so i you know, I had a little bit of a go, and then, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd come back and raise it. So then I'd put the pressure on again, then he'd raise it. And then when he wanted a little bit of a rest, I'd put the pressure on again. And because I knew I was, I was younger than him, you know, and I thought if I keep him working when, he's, when he don't want to work and keep his body under stress and pressure, you know, even if I'm losing the rounds, you know what I mean? If I'm losing the rounds, I want him going back to that corner with no breath left.
5: The first six rounds were very nip and tuck. You were both getting your successes, but in round six you caught him with that shot. It only the ropes held him up. He comes out in round seven and throws a body shot, Ricky, which you go down to. The judges ruled it a low blow. You
2: just feel something has gotta give sometime soon, don't you? Protective equipment very good these days. It needs to be up there. Yeah, I tell you what, Ian, that was a full-blooded shot, no question. And you can do without that because that can sap energy as well. I think one more of them and we'll see a point.
5: Was it a low blow or did that shot hurt you?
3: No, I, I think I think they were um, a low blow. It uh, didn't hurt me because I think you know you know if the if they're just under the waistband. They're not—they're not, they're not near your tackle, are they? You know what I mean, just below your waistband. You know, <laughs> you, you know. But it's as if they go proper low and from an angle, is when it hurts. But it was very, very borderline. But I knew it was—I knew it was lowest. So I'd make a bit of a meal about it, and and then he—he he did it about three or four times to me, actually. And um, in the end, it would work to my favour come round then, because yeah. I, I got my own back a little bit. A point being
2: deducted. I would imagine. Yep, he he's been told. That is the last warning. Oh, that was a I think See, he'll take it and you know, i be surprised if he doesn't take it because he is struggling with the pace here. People are standing in the aisles now in expectation. That's not to let Alessio, does he make a lot of
1: that? Round nine, you start taking over this fight, Ricky, don't you? Kosazu looks tired, he goes down, but it's ruled a low blow. Did you think at this time that you were definitely going to have him, you were going to win the fight?
3: Absolutely. When I I come back, it might have been, as I said earlier, round eight, but it might have been round nine, but it was one of them rounds where I come back to my corner and said, how does he feel? I went, he feels weak now, Billy. I said, I find I'm throwing him about a little bit like a rag doll. And Billy went, what did I tell you? Now's the time. These next four rounds, these next three rounds here now, put your foot down, he said. You know what I mean? He said, you know, we're at the stage now where we've got to where we want to be in the fight, You've got to be clever and sensible because he can peel one he, he can obviously peel a shot off on you but he said the game plan goes out of the window now you win these next three rounds go like the clappers he said and it's worked know, so, and that's basically what i did and it started from round nine and then i thought to myself as, as tired as i was and believe you me I, you know he was tiring, but i wasn't far behind him but i thought there's no point in Getting your tactics right, knowing when to rest, knowing when to put your foot down, you know what I mean? Going through all that pain and all that thing, to get to the position where you've got him, to then say, I've nothing left, I've knackered myself, then you're not the champion you think you are then, are you? You know what I mean? So, that's what I did from there on in, from round nine. I put my foot down, and I could feel him dwindle, feel him dwindle, you know, and um, even when he was coming back and catching me with the odd, the odd shot, they were bouncing off me at this stage now, so I could afford to take more chances in the attacks. In the early round, I had to be super, super careful when he was at his most venomous and most, you know, powerful. But by this stage, in the last four rounds, it was game plan out the window, you've just got to get these last three-one now, Rick. And that's what I was doing, just, you know, just full steam ahead it was.
5: Ricky, we get into round 10, you're landing some big shots, and Ian Dark, who was working for the Sky commentary team at the time, said that Costia's U looked in a dark place.
3: that at that stage absolutely and i knew uh, i knew i'd got him but i knew he he was such a, a proud champion even though i was so on top he was tired he was if you remember he was fighting back every step of the way i knew i had to put my foot down and i knew i was tired because but i mean you know and so he was putting we were both putting it in equally Hard as much, he was giving as, as good as he, he got. But I mean, all his punches, he was just, when he was in the clinches, he was sagging. I could push him around. Billy Graham actually said one thing to me before the fight, that him and Jimmy Lewis, his trainer, were similar to me and Billy. We were very, very close, lot best mates, been together a long time, not just as boxer and coach, but as mates. And he turned around and said, if you know, if this fight gets to an intense war, he said, I think, you know, Jimmy Lewis might pull him out. He was in a very, very dark place, as Ian and yourself just, just said there, mate. But um, I mean, I wasn't far behind him myself. And um, and then when he when he when he when he quit on his stool at the uh, the end of the eleventh, um, oh, my, my lord. And and Billy, to his credit, was right about that as well.
5: Yeah, we get into round 11, Ricky, and you come out punching like it's round one. You seem to have found a second wind, a second energy. You knew the fight was close to being won. Kosti makes it to the end of the round, but he retires in the corner. Did you think at that stage that he was that close to winning?
3: I thought there was nothing in the fight. I thought maybe at that stage, maybe I was one round up. But because of, you know, like scoring, you know, you can never tell how the scoring cards are going to go and everything like that. I need I, I, I thought I was winning, but I thought I need this. La- I need these last couple of rounds just to, just to you know, to put the icing on the cake and make 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 sure of it. But I was just, I was that. Like, was, I had my head down and I spat my gum shield out. And Bobby Rimmer, the, the assistant coach, was uh, he was throwing water over me like like I was a killer whale. To be honest with you, he was throwing water all over me, trying to get that one last one. And I was like, oh Billy, I said, I'm so tired, so tired. And I said, he said, I, Billy said, I don't want to hear that. You're not as tired as him, look at him, look at him. And he turned around and pointed to Costa And just then, as we both looked at him, the referee went, waved the fight over.
2: I was just at the, the slipping of the canvas, but quite rightly, Ricky like took full advantage of that. This, I think kind they've of retired him. There's something going on in the corner. Let's have a look, let's have a look here. Dave Paris is talking. The shoot's in,
1: all of a sudden Zo does retire the referee confirms it you go over to him Ricky what 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 did he say to you did he tell you why he retired
3: I can't remember initially after because I mean I was just so much um, you know adrenaline and you know and just you know relief and you know we all dream of as a 10 year old walking through the we dream of becoming a world champion but to become the best in your weight division. You know, out, out of all the world champions, don't forget. You know, it's three or four world title champions now, is not they? But to be the best out of all of them, it was. And in my hometown of Manchester, it was just. You know, I just collapsed on the floor, and Billy was hugging me, and he's crying, and and I'm crying. And, and initially, Koshizu would come straight over to me, but I was I was too much adulation and too much too much feeling going on in me own to know what he said. But then when I when I calmed down and. Got a drink, and the doctor saw me. I went over to him, and he said, uh, He just said he was better than me in every way tonight, Ricky. He said, And where you go on from here? He said, If you need any advice from me in the future, in future fights, he said, I'll always be there for you. And I thought, Wow, that is a champion and a half, you know what I mean? To lose your chart- title that you've had, what did we say? Did he have, guys? 20 title defences to lose your, your title. Mm -hmm. on the stool and in 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 a manner which must have been very hard for a proud champion to sort of like sit on a stool and say no more please leave me alone type thing must have been hard but for him to you know to scrub himself down and come over and say them words to me i think it's that's that's what makes our sport so special to any other sport i think it was unbelievable stuff
5: yeah, I remember Kostya Zhu saying after that fight that he was a proud champion. He had no more fight left in him and he'd rather have gone out that way than actually getting knocked out cold because that's what he felt might have happened in that 12th and final round. Now, Ricky, you are now the new IBF, like, welterweight champion of the world. How did that feel at that stage, going, you know, winning the title of such a formidable champion?
3: You know, you dream of it as the first day you walk through the gym. I knew I had the ability to to, to do it, and then, to, but to finally do it, you can never prepare yourself, you know, for for that feeling. And I think if someone said to me, when you did win that world title, the IBF world title, you know, how would you would you like it to happen? And I would probably have to say, in my hometown of Manchester, with you know, a packed house of twenty two thousand, and with a champion, number two pound for pound in the world, best in the in the weight division, quitting on his stool and saying, "Leave me alone, please, no more." I think if I'd have knocked him out of a left up to the body, it wouldn't have been as pleasing. I was having a champion like Koshasu say, "No more, I can't do any more, no more, leave me alone, please, young man." And uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and if you remember, after the fight. I grabbed the microphone, like like I always do, I've always been respectful and I I felt I needed to grab the mic after what he'd previously said to me about giving me, you know, if you ever need any help Ricky, I'm there for you, you know where I am always, pick up the phone and speak to me. So I picked up the microphone and I said, you know, can everybody give you know, what a wonderful champion he's been over the years, a round of applause and I said, if I can be half the champion he is, I'd have done well and everyone give him a, you know, give him a cheer and then he grabbed the mic and said, you know, I was the best man tonight, you know, I was better than him in every way. And if you ever need any help, Ricky, you know where I am. I'll give you my number, here's my phone calling me. So, you know, from from being in Manchester, quitting on the stool, could you have wrote it down any better? I don't think you could. I've
2: been doing well, so give Costello a great champion, a round of applause. For you. Today, Ricky was better than me in any sh- everywhere. And I'm doing this boxing for 27 years. As I said, I'm very proud. Ricky, good, God bless you. you. Uh, God bless and you. as I said to you in the, before, any help from me, always welcome, Mike. Isn't that fantastic? This is what true sportsmanship is all about fighters who can tumble each other for 11 rounds non stop, then cuddle. And exchange compliments. Wonderful, wonderful night
1: for boxing. Mind of My Life on Talk Sport. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver with the brilliant Ricky, the hit Manhattan. We've been through the build-up to the fight, all that emotion in the Manchester arena. And now, Ricky, you are, of course, IBF, light welterweight, champion of the world. A dream that you had from being... Ever such uh, a small lad, and uh, when I was looking back at the fight, your mum Carol was on tender hooks throughout that fight. Did you manage, by the way, just before Spencer asked you a question, did you manage to catch a ride during the fight or right after the fight when you become world champion?
3: I oh, well, I did. If you remember, I um, I think they made the they made the ring the announcement, and I got the uh, the belt, I jumped out of the ring, and give him give me mum and dad and Matthew, uh, you know, a, a hug. I know how much my parents went through the pain, the pain barrier and all the turmoil of seeing the, the son, someone they love, do something such as boxing and, and never mind such as boxing but to to be involved in a fight as that, it must have been horrific and um, I have a, a warmer appreciation for what my mum and my dad went through being a father myself now and watching my son campbell fight now it's the horrible most horrible feeling in the world i mean at least you know when you're boxing yourself you you know it's on your shoulders you can do something about it but when you're watching somebody and you, you can't help them and you've, you've just got to sit there and hope
5: ricky you and costa's you were very respectful to each other before the fight and in the interview after the fight of said that you were you were the better man in all departments if you ever need any help from me i'm always there mate have you still got that friendship today? Do you still keep in touch with each other?
3: Um, sadly, not not today. But I did keep in touch with him for a good few years. You know, I mean, before I uh, before the box, Floyd Mayweather, he, you know, he phoned me, he phoned me up, and then um, before the box, Pacquiao, I, 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 um, I, I phoned him just for a for a chat, you know, and, and stuff like that. And then I did keep in touch him for a few years. And then I went to Australia with a. A guy called Sergey Rabchenko who boxed Anthony um, Mundine out there. There was an Australian Boxing Hall of Fame that was on there, so I phoned Costia up and I said, "Hi, hey, I and I'm going to the uh, to, to the Hall of Fame. Is they've got an annual dinner on Sunday?" I said, uh, "Oh, right, great. You know." So I uh, I met him there. I lost touch with him. I, I'd have no problem being able to find his number from 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 somewhere, and he's but. Um, I lost touch with him for a while, but don't forget there was a, that period in my life, guys, where, as we're talking about, you know, the fight of my life and great times. You know, I had a few uh, roller coaster moments, didn't I? Where you know, where I wasn't quite right, wasn't happy. You know, what I mean, I was bottom rung of the ladder, suicidal, and all that. And I think it was that period where I um, I lost contact with him, which I don't think you can blame me because it was it was all about just getting myself back on track, not not as a boxer but as a person, and. Um, we kept in touch, but we just lost we lost track over the last few years, which sometimes happens, I guess. But uh, I think there's no doubt if I picked the phone up and phoned him, he'd be over the moon, yeah, like I would be if he did me.
1: After the Costa Zoo fight, becoming a world champion and everything that that entailed for you, nine more fights, you won six of them. Then you hung up your your gloves, Ricky. It's well known that post-retirement, you've alluded to it just a few Minutes ago, that you you've had your problems. You you struggled with your mental health, didn't you? How did you regain your mental health? And and perhaps you have some advice that you can share with our listeners who might be going through similar things.
3: Well, every well whenever we retire, you know, I mean, I'd done boxing since I left school from sixteen on my working life. I mean, I I turned professional at eighteen. All I used to do, I used to be a carpet fitter when I left school and apart from fit a few dodgy carpets I've just done boxing all my, um, all my life, it's the only thing I, I ever knew and then obviously when I got beat by Manny Pacquiao and retirement, he's, he's forced on you, it's a very worrying thing where you know you you say you're going to retire, you do the press conference, you come home and you're sat in your settee on your own and you, you think, what am I going to do now? But I'd always struggled with my, my mental health and a little bit, believe it or not, confidence and... Um, and there was i had a little bit of bad luck along the way there was things that was going wrong in my life you know i mean i got beat by mayweather took it really hard beat wasklanda scano i was up then i fell out with billy gray my, my trainer and i was down beat paulie malignaggi then i was back up i got beat by mani pacquiao and i was down again and then i fell out with my mum and dad you know so you can see how me my, my frame of mind and thinking was having a bit of a yo-yo effect one minute i'm up one minute i'm down one minute i'm up one minute i'm down and then I ended up having to retire from boxing. I did all this in, in boxing to work so hard, and I fell out with Billy Graham, and I fell out with me mum and dad. I've no longer got boxing. What do I need to be living on planet Earth for here? The ones that were there with me all the way who I love, I can't share it with them. I haven't got boxing no more. So I didn't care whether I, I lived or died. I really uh, didn't. It was a horrific time. I, I tried slitting my wrist on several occasions. I could never do it. So then I thought to myself, I know, I thought I'll just drink and drug myself to, to death. So and then when the story came out in the paper, you know, I mean, I I I asked I was a very, very poorly person, I mean, and but in my own m- weak mind, I used to think, you know, I've let the fans down, I've let the fans down, they probably think I'm a hypocrite getting caught in the paper doing that, but I was a very, very poorly person because of the circumstances that I just meant, talked to you about. So I didn't care where I lived or died, but I mean, my second child, Millie, was born. She wasn't planned and I went to the hospital and the held her in my arms and I just thought, get yourself together. And I tried to get myself together in the forthcoming weeks when Millie was born and I was still failing. And I went to see my psychiatrist and I just fell on my knees and said I can't do it help me please please help me will someone please help me here now and bit by bit I just started getting a little bit better and a little bit healthier losing weight and staying in the gym and and, um, and in the end I got myself back on the, the, the straight and narrow and I'm so glad I did because I mean I'm thank- I'm very glad I can say now that I've made friends with Billy Graham I see Billy on a regular basis now I'm back friends with me my mum and dad got three wonderful kids. I've even got a granddaughter now, Lila. And if I'd have not got myself back together and be strong, look how much I'd, I'd, I'd have missed out on guys if it had took me life when I, when I, when I tried to. And I missed sure. out on so many wonderful things in in life. So, I mean, if you are out there and you are having problems and you are getting stressed like all of us, Never be scared to go and speak to someone because if I hadn't sp- spoke to someone and I'd have gone through it, I'd have missed out on so much and I wouldn't be here doing an interview talking about my best ever fight, would I? And don't be scared, you know, I mean, of going out and speaking the truth. You know, people think they're probably less of a man by crying and saying to someone, I'm, I'm struggling. No, I, for me, you're more of a man. And it's the best thing I ever did. Because, I mean, i had them wonderful times in boxing, but present day, life has never been as good.
5: At that time, was there any boxers that were trying to get in touch with you, offering any sort of help?
3: Not really, because at the time, nobody knew. I was tra- when I retired, I started training boxers, and I'd go to the gym and, you know, train the lads and crack a few jokes and, you know, and everything like that. And on the surface, everything looked normal. But that was like my comfort blanket, that gym. I could go there and do my thing and stuff like that and do the boxing. And then when I'd come home here on my own, I'd be I'd be sat on my own and I'd just go under again. I mean, you know, I mean, even if I hadn't gone to the pub or got drunk or had a few pints, even if it was just on my own, where I had time on my own to just ponder rubbish, I'd just uh, go under. So, I mean, and it wasn't, I just turned around and said to people there, never be scared of going out and speaking to somebody and telling somebody you need help and never be scared of that. At the time, I thought, I'm Ricky and I'm not going to anyone telling them I'm crying every day. I'm the champion you know, i'm the former champion of the world i'm not going and telling anybody I, I you know i need help but that was back then i've learned now that that's exactly what you need to do on the surface everybody thought it was okay even like my close family you know they'd see me in the gym and they see me you know like that but you know they never saw me in these in these four walls guys and it was horrific i was trying to hide it from my loved ones hide it from my mates you know because anybody who turns around and says you know they've got mental health years back then you used to think you was a nutter but now it's more out there and more people are getting to understand it but back then now we we know better how to cope with things and there's still people out there struggling and that's my goal to as much as i'm a trainer now and I, you know I, I do so many other things i feel myself as an ambassador and the ambassador of the frank bruno foundation and it's so important to try and get it across that listen you know it's it's a disease like any other disease but with mental health you can't see it
1: that's great advice there ricky um we ask it of every guest uh, ricky hatton did boxing make you rich
3: uh, yeah absolutely it did make me rich i mean um at the younger days you know um i always went for the glory because i thought if i go for the glory the the the, the finances He's gonna come, but because I always went for the glory when I um when I beat Costi the fight we've just been talking about, I'd reached Mount Everest. If you, you know, if you like, because of the payday, I knew I was gonna be okay and my kids were gonna be okay. Uh, I've climbed Everest, I've won the world title, but I climbed a few more Everest, Everest from there on in dinner, guys. You know what I mean? Mm. The next fight was a world title against Mauser, the next fight was moving up a weight. Against Calazzo, become a two-weight world champion. Then I moved back down for Yarangol, become a four-time world champion in two weight divisions. Then I box Castillo. Then I box Mayweather. Then I box you know Lescano, uh, Malinogie, Pacquiao. So it has been the money, but I mean, if it was the money, I'd have packed in after Costasu. I mean, I always went for the glory, and that's why I had so much more fights after them because I wanted, I wanted, you know, it's alright having a nice house and being paid for and your kids paid for, but you know, you want legacy and you want your kids, you know, to, when they're asking you about that, that belt in the trophy cabinet, it's nice to turn around and say, yeah, there's a six or seven more, because I didn't want everybody to think that fight against Ricky, that Ricky Hatton against Costa was a fluke. He got away with that. He was too old. Ricky Hatton was not the fight he was. He got lucky against the lucky champion. No, I didn't because I look what I did. After that, he's given me, my family, my kids, a life, and some of the things that life can give. Some of that I couldn't. We could have never dreamed of me and my family with some of the, the things that I've got through what I achieved at boxing. You know, when people pull me and talk about the Costa Zoo fights and certain fights and the fights with Mayweather, we went over and such great occasions. Those uh, doesn't matter how much money you've made. Those are the priceless things that will stay with you till the day we die.
1: Ricky, I have to say, Spencer and myself have thoroughly enjoyed this chat with you. What a trip down memory lane. The fight of your life against Costa Zoo in Manchester, 15 years ago in 2005. Uh, you've been so open and honest and brilliantly took us through the fight. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: My pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it.
1: This has been Fight of My Life with Ricky, the hit Manhattan. And this has been series number one of Fight of My Life, but we'll be back with plenty more boxing life stories and series two very soon on Talk Sport.